Well, this morning is a transitional message in the Ten Commandments. We're going to talk about honoring our parents. Those who have studied this and are much smarter than I am say that the first four commandments were on one tablet, and then the following six commandments were on another tablet. There are some archaeologists and some scholars that say, no, there were five and five. That really doesn't matter to me, but the fifth commandment is a transitional commandment. The fourth commandment has all been all about our vertical relationship with God. If you just look at that cross, just think of the, the center beam, the center post as being our vertical relationship with God. And the fifth commandment, to honor our parents, suddenly everything in the Ten Commandments goes horizontal. It has to do with our relationship with one another. This commandment is also considered transitional because this commandment affects all of the other Ten Commandments. If we break one of the commandments, we've broken them all. But this particular commandment has so much to do with all of them. Now remember, the Ten Commandments, and I've said this every week, so if you remember it, say it with me. The Ten Commandments were given to enrich us and not enslave us. Let's say that together. The Ten Commandments were given to enrich us and not enslave us. I have been absolutely stunned at how many people have come to me in the course of these messages and said, Pastor, the Ten Commandments have always been so negative to me. They've always been these thou shalt nots, and I've, they've kind of been not anything to really rejoice in. But now I'm beginning to see that the Ten Commandments are really about freeing us and giving us liberty, bringing us order into our lives. And by the way, if you don't have order, you cannot have liberty, and I'll let you chew on that for a while. There's no such thing as liberty without order, and God brings order into our lives, order in how we worship the Lord, order in how we love and live together with one another and with the world that we're a part of. And the Bible tells us that there's this order that is given to us, and in it there's this perfect liberty that you and I can enjoy. Children today, according to a lot of child psychologists, according to a lot of thinkers, and according to a recent book published in 2023, Families After the Pill, Families After the Sexual Revolution that we had in the last century, one of the things that they discovered today is that children are much less likely to have siblings. Children are much less likely to have cousins and aunts and uncles that they can relate to and know. And so if you're a child or a teenager in our congregation and there are aunts and uncles that are role models in your life, you have siblings that you relate to, you live in a nuclear family, which means your mother and father married your mother and father are raising you. You grew up in that home. You happen to be in the minority in America. Only 17% of our families in America today are what we would call nuclear families. That's how rapidly the attack upon the family has increased and how the family has been collapsing in the United States. There are consequences to this, according to the psychologists that we have. And because of that, 
Many people in our society are not learning the social skills. They're not learning the, the economic skills. They're not learning the relational skills that they need to be able to manage in life. Robert Samuelson, who was an economics reporter for the Washington Post, Robert Samuelson said this, along with budget deficits, we have family deficits. It explains the stubborn poverty and frustrations that we have in combating it in the United States. Listen, we have learned that good families, what good families provide, cannot be gotten elsewhere. For the nation, this is the deficit that matters most. For the nation, this is the deficit that matters most, and it's speaking about the health and the welfare of our families. So I'm going to ask you if you would, out of respect for the word of the Lord, would you stand with me? I'm going to read you one verse of scripture and we'll pray and we'll get into this this morning. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, and if you will read it out loud with me this morning, honor your father and mother, then you will have a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now before I begin to pray and be preached, let me just say something. As Richard Nixon used to say, let me be perfectly clear. <laughs> Only God is the perfect father. Amen. Only God is the perfect parent. And I don't stand behind this pulpit pretending to be the perfect dad. I believe my kids and my wife would tell you that I've been an honorable dad I've been an honorable husband, and I've been a loving husband and a loving dad. But they would delight in telling you about some of my imperfections as well. But when it comes to God, he's the only perfect father or perfect parent. Can you say amen again to that? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that this message will not bring condemnation, but it will enrich us. I pray, Father, for love for us, that where we need conviction, you will convict us and you will show us, Lord, how we should live then as passionate followers of Christ, modeling this. For those of us, Lord, who are in marriages, that, God, we began and our wives or our husband have been the only one that we've known and been intimate with and the children that we've raised together we give you thanks humbly for that, for we say it is only the grace of God. And for those, Lord, who've come from broken homes or maybe had broken marriages, Lord, I pray that as we go through this this morning, there will be no condemnation, but there will be rejoicing in the grace of God that lifted us up from that place of despair we were in and put our feet upon the rock where we are now beginning to live, Lord, that holy life that you've called us all to. And Father, for those who've not yet crossed the line, I pray that as we go through this together this morning, they will see your wonderful, loving, and redemptive plan and help me to make a beeline straight to the cross of Jesus Christ, I ask. For it's in your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. Grab a pen and follow along with me this morning. This commandment is one of my favorite commandments because it comes with a promise. The fifth commandment comes with a promise for all of our lives, and that is that you will live a long life. You will enjoy a good life. And I don't think that that's promising any of us that we'll live to be 80 or 90 or 100. 
The Bible says that God has all of our days foreordained for us, but I think it means that we have the possibility of living a fulfilling life. I, I think it's what Samuelson was getting at when he talked about the deficit that America has. A family deficit is the greatest deficit that comes along. In the New Testament, Paul took this passage in Ephesians 6.1, and he amplified it. Children... Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother, and this is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you, and you will have a long life on earth. Now, I'm telling you, there have been times in my life where things haven't gone very well, and I honored my mother and father. But I'm also telling you that when I look back over the 68 years of life that I've lived, things have gone very well. God has been faithful to his word. I don't know if Braden fully realized all that he was saying when he quoted Romans 8, 28 to us this morning. But I promise you if Jesus tarries and Braden lives long enough, he will come to love that verse of Scripture as many of us have learned to love that verse of Scripture, that in everything God works for the good of those who love him. Can you say amen to that? Because the Scripture comes with a promise. The second thing I'd like you to see about this passage this morning is that a civilization that destroys the family will eventually destroy itself. A civilization that destroys marriage, a civilization that tries to recreate marriage in its own image and then defend that is a civilization that will eventually consume itself and destroy itself. It will destroy its own children. There's something about honoring our parents, whether they're older than us or whether we're young, living at home and living with our parents. There's something about honoring our parents that brings life, it brings order, and it brings liberty to, to us. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 26 says, children who mistreat their father or chase their mother away are an embarrassment and a public disgrace. The way that we treat our elderly, the way that we treat our older parents and our grandparents, the way we treat the elderly in our congregation says a lot about us as a church. It says a lot about us as a family. It says a lot about us as a society and as a nation. When you see the elderly sleeping on park benches, when you see the elderly having to beg for scraps of bread, there's something wrong in one of the most prosperous nations on the earth when old people find themselves having to sleep on park benches and we drive by that and it doesn't stir anything within us. We can do better than that as a nation. When you see elderly people neglected in rest homes and nursing homes put there to die because we're too busy making a living to go and see and love our, our neighbor or to love our grandparents or our aunt or our uncle, it says a lot about us as a community and it says a lot about us as a civilization. There are times when we do need to put our parents into an assisted care facility or into a nursing home. But when we do, we don't just turn their care over to the professionals. We stay involved in their lives. We visit them. We sit with them. We pray with them. We sing with them. 
We cherish them every single day of our lives. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 20, if you insult your father or mother, your light will be snuffed out in real darkness, now, or total darkness. Now look at that passage for just a moment. I don't think anybody would disagree. Even the politicians talk about the darkness that has come upon America. Could it be that somehow or another we have failed to honor our elderly? Could it be that somehow or another we have come to the conclusion that extended long-term care is not worth it and maybe the elderly need to get out of the way or maybe the elderly need to die because their treatment is so expensive or it's such a burden on those that are behind? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. This is not just talking about our nuclear family, but this is talking about those of us that are a part of the body of Christ and part of a civilization itself. Jesus was asked a question one time, and he responded with a question, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Those who do the will of God. And the elderly in this congregation, they are my father and they are my mother. Those that are weak in this congregation, they are my brother and sister. And those who love God, no matter what they age, they are my family. And it's why the letters you receive from me typically say, hi, family, dear family, because we are the family of God. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? We are brothers and sisters around here. Augustine said in one of his sermons, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Read this quote with me aloud. If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? There's something hard-hearted about the person who ignores the parent, the brokenness of the parent. Even if that parent is no longer able to communicate, there's something about sitting there and holding their arm and holding their hand, being next to them, that brings healing into their lives, that brings presence into their lives. There are many times when I don't know what to say to someone who is either sick or suffering or I don't know what to say to someone who is elderly and can no longer communicate with me. But I always take a moment to pray and to ask the Lord, give me a verse of Scripture, Father, that I can read because we know that one of the last things to go is hearing. One of the last things that somebody loses is hearing. And people who have been in comas, like one of the young women from our church, one of the nurses in our church in her 20s, had a stroke, was found the next morning on her floor. The doctors didn't expect her to live. She has told her parents, she has told this church, we filmed her, she's told me. She says, Pastor, the only person I ever remember, though my parents were there night and day, my brothers and sisters were there night and day, the only person I remember is your coming into intensive care and laying your hands upon my shoulder and reading scripture and singing to me. I remember those times, Pastor. The word of God is living, it is alive, it is not literature. It is the very word of God given to us to help us live and to thrive and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and today she's an intensive care nurse totally restored and healed in San Diego number three honor is heavy honor is heavy the word for honor is kabod it means heavy I wanted to bring out some scales this morning and step on the scales, and then I decided that was none of your business this morning. 
But you see, when I step on the scales, I'm heavy. And those scales tell me how much I weigh. Those scales sometimes make me happy and sometimes make me sad. Sometimes I look at Becky and I say, these scales are broken. We need a new set of scales. She said, there's nothing wrong with those scales. She steps on. She goes, I told you there was nothing wrong. I'm so jealous sometimes. But the scales tell us it's, it's, it's heavy. It's weight. Honor is a heavy thing. And you see, some of us, or some of you, you may not have had parents that are worthy of honor. Your dad may not have taken care of the family. Your mother may have been a neglectful mother. You may not even know who your father, or maybe you don't even know who your mother is. And you say, why should I honor them? They didn't live an honorable life. Pastor, you don't know the hurt and the pain. I, I've been doing this for 50 years. I, I, I know what people say. And why do we do it? Because there was one little phrase in Ephesians 6 that Paul says that makes it very clear. It's the right thing to do. Look at Ephesians 6.1. Read that with me. This is the right thing to do. Say it again. This is the right thing to do. One more time. This is the right thing to do. Whether your parents were honorable or not has nothing to do. The commandment doesn't say you should feel affectionate towards your parents. The commandment doesn't say that. Now, we know the Bible tells us that we should love one another, but this commandment is even, not even saying you should love your parents. And we should love our parents. We should love our enemies. But this commandment is telling us that we should honor our parents. The Bible says, excuse me, Paul Tillich said, not the Bible, Paul Tillich, a theologian in the last century, said the first duty of love is to listen. The first duty of love is to listen. And so I'd like to speak to those of you who are young adults, you're watching online, or you're young adults here. I'd like to talk to you that are teenagers this morning that are here, and I, I, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Because suddenly, most young people, when they become teenagers, I've heard this over and over and over again. And if you resonate with what I'm about to say, just nod your head at me. Beginning in the teen years, all of a sudden, we begin to experience family conflicts. Are there any nodding heads in here? That's what I thought. Beginning in the teen years, I used to know everything when my kids were little. I was the smartest dad on the whole block. When a kid would say, oh yeah, who says? They'd say, my dad said. About 13 years old, I was the dumbest dad on the whole block. <laughs> and suddenly we began to experience this conflict and this strife. But what we know is this conflict strengthens families. This conflict strengthens our young people. It strengthens our teenagers. During that process, we have differences, but we learn. Listen, and this is what Samuelson was getting at. We learn how to navigate conflict. We learn how to disagree. We learn how to express our opinions and how to hold our opinions. I will never forget my dad looking at me one time and saying, Denny, 
You can say anything you want to say to me as long as you say it respectfully. It took me a while to figure out how to sound respectful because sometimes things would just bubble up in me and I would blurt it out and I would get a look from him that I knew if I didn't shut up right then, I would be drop kicked into next week. And when he got there, I would be drop kicked into the next week. I'm not conflicted about that. I learn how to navigate conflict and when to express my opinions and when to hold my opinions and how to think them through. When we try working out conflict with our parents, teenagers, or especially college students, we're, we're bringing healthy resolution skills. We're learning those healthy resolution skills. And parents, we need to teach our children how to have a good fight and not be enemies, how to disagree and to disagree agreeably. If we avoid this, parents, listen to me, if we avoid teaching our children this, then they don't know how to enter the world where the world is full of conflict. Can you say amen? And if you're living in a family that you're the minority of a 17% nuclear family, it's even more important that we learn how to do this. The Apostle Paul is not telling you may not, you may not always see eye to eye with your parents, but he's saying you should honor your parents, you should obey your parents. So how do we honor parents when we disagree with them and yet still remain true? Look at Proverbs 23 and verse 22 and read this out loud with me. Listen with respect. Say that again. Listen with respect. If you're sitting next to your wife or your husband, look at them and say, listen to me with respect. Say it sweetly. All right, I saw a snarky one over here. <laughs> Do you know what marriage psychologists tell us? You can predict divorce, and I wish that somehow or another we had one of those big screens here that you could see. When someone is talking, the husband or the wife, and they roll their eyes. Because that roll of the eyes communicates disrespect, and what you're saying doesn't matter. Listen with respect to the father who raised you. And when you're old, your mother grows old, don't neglect her. Now let me transition to the young adults in our, in our congregation. I've had this conversation many, many times. Pastor, this is what I want to do with my life. But my mom and dad says if I do this, they're not going to pay for my college. They want me to be this. They want me to be that. And so there's this banging of heads, and sometimes a student goes to college, they're totally bored. Maybe they don't want to be a doctor. Maybe they don't want to be an engineer, but mom and dad are in their love or looking at something for their son or daughter that they feel like is going to make them a lot of money, and they'll be successful, and so they push their son or daughter another way, and that conflict begins to simmer and to grow inside and so I say to young people a lot of times, have the conversation. 
Tell your dad, tell your mom, I want to tell you what my dreams are. I want to tell you what I want to do with my life. They may laugh, they may be scornful about it, but if you don't get it out and it simmers, it will build into resentment against your mom and dad. And if you do something that you feel like God hasn't shaped you to do, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability, your personality, your experiences shape. If you do something that you feel like God hasn't shaped you to do, then you will not do very well in it or else you will get burned out in it and quit and do something else in life. So have the conversation, but have it with respect. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And then I look at that young person and I say, but now let me tell you something. Nobody knows you as well as your mother and your father does. They raised you. They've seen you grow up. You heard Pastor Corey say to Braden just now, he says, I've known him all my life. Nobody knows you like your mom and dad does. God gives to parents insight into their children's lives. I know you may not believe that sometime, but trust your pastor on this. God gives your mother and father insight into your life. And if you're blessed to have godly parents who are seeking the Lord, I promise you they're praying daily for your good success in life. And every mom and dad in this room said, amen. So listen to your parents with respect. And you may have to establish some boundaries so that you're not constantly arguing. And then I tell them, I say, you need to forgive because if you don't forgive, resentment will begin to build up walls and will destroy your relationships. And two other things. You've got to accept the fact. Mom and dad may not ever, ever accept the fact that you followed the dream that's in your heart that you believe God's put there. But don't shut them out of your life. Let me illustrate with a very good friend of mine and Becky's. Their family owned banks in Europe, in the Caribbean, and in Canada. They're a very wealthy family. We've been their guests many, many times. And before his father went to heaven, his father and I had many wonderful conversations. But because when he became a follower of Jesus Christ, it wasn't long after he became a follower of Jesus Christ in college at the University of Georgia on a scholarship there that he felt God calling him into pastoral ministry. I was his, the lady who became his wife. Becky and I were their youth pastors we are still very, very close friends, and every time we're in Georgia, just about, we get together with them. His father got mad at him. His father chewed him out. His father just threatened to cut him all off because he was going into the ministry. His father wasn't a Christian, and it caused a lot of conflict between him and his family but he stayed true to his calling, and God has blessed them, and eventually God healed that relationship but my friend, the one thing he did that was so amazing was he never fired back with snarkiness at his dad when his dad would say some of the most insulting things. He never criticized his dad. We would weep together. We would pray together. We would talk together. But he never criticized and he never mocked his dad. He honored his father. And just two years before his dad died of cancer, his father committed his life to Jesus Christ. His brother committed his life to Jesus Christ. His mother committed his life to Jesus Christ. 
There was an amazing change in the man that I met that was angry about his son's calling and the man that I would get to know two years of his life after he gave his heart to Christ. If you honor your mother and father, you could be opening the doors to heaven to them because they see the amazing love of God being expressed through you. You never repay evil with evil. Somebody say amen this morning. Never repay evil with evil. That's how God calls us to live, to honor. Fourthly, the fifth commandment joins love of God and one another. Last week I told you, and by the way, if you haven't listened to last week's message, I have been overwhelmed with the response to last week's message. And people have said to me, Pastor, I need to get my life in order. Last week's message was about the Sabbath everyday conversations about last, so go online and listen to that message. But if you remember last week, I told you, I can never love God more than I love you. Can never, Tony, I can never love God more than I love Tony. My love for God can be measured by my love for you. My love for God can be measured by my love for my wife. My love of God, believe it or not, can be love, measured by my love for Fred Kelly. And I don't normally call out names here. But Fred, how I love you is how I love God. So this commandment, this transitional, remember I told you the, there's a reason that they're having this debate over was it on this stone or this stone? It doesn't matter. It's the transitional statement that joins love of God to love for one another. Look at Matthew 22, verse 37 with me. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Read this last statement with me. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. Jesus modeled this as a 12-year-old. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 51, the Bible tells us that after some misunderstanding between Jesus and Mary and Joseph, how did Jesus respond? Jesus went back with them to Nazareth where he was obedient to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Read that last sentence with me. His mother treasured all these things in their heart. One translation says, where he was obedient to them in all things. Say that with me. He was obedient to them in all things. If my four children had been obedient to me in all things, I would have treasured that in my heart as well. Think about that. He was obedient to them in all things. So how do we take this home and how do we begin to live this out day by day? Number one, call your parents, call your mother, call your father. Affirm them today. Tell them how much you love them. Share a memory from your childhood with them, a good one. If you don't have a good one, just tell them again that you love them. Remember, honor is heavy, and not every parent has been honorable, but you're honoring them. When you get together, give them the place of honor at the head table. When my dad was alive, when he came home, I didn't say, Dad, you sit here. When my father-in-law passed away, my mother-in-law looked at me and says, you sit where Carl sat now. And everything about that didn't feel right. But she says, no, this is where I want you to sit. 
Because there's something that we recognize at that head of table that we're honoring that person. Remember the special days in their life, anniversaries and birthdays. And sometimes just stop and tell your parents what you learn from them. Each of my sisters and myself, we've gone places where my parents never went. We've done things my parents have never done. We have better educations than my parents ever have. But one of the things that we constantly were telling our parents and we still tell my mom to this day is what we learn from them. And to see their faces light up. You remember that? You remember that we did that? <clears throat> Sometimes I call one of the pastors that's still living that I used to serve with, and I will say to him, you know what I learned from you? And, and, and sometimes when I'm preparing or when I'm visiting with people, I remember what you taught me, and I've heard it over the phone. I was backed into my driveway the other day, and I just felt the need to call a man by the name of Cortez Fraser, who was a pastor, my pastor, and uh, he's elderly now and <clears throat> retired in Georgia, and I called him. I said, you know, I remember learning this from you, and I still do this. And he goes, you remember that? And I go, yes, sir. Thank you for investing that into my life. Not just your parents, but whoever does the will of the Father is my father's, my mother's, my brother, my sister. Thank them often. Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 11 says, be grateful for the good things that the Lord your God has given you and your family. Let's read that together. Be grateful for the good things that the Lord your God has given you and your family. I think we're missing that in America so much. Media tells us that we shouldn't be grateful. Politics tells us that we shouldn't be grateful. Because we're not grateful, our families are disintegrating, and there's this family deficit that's worse than the budget deficit. But we've discovered there's something about taking time each day to reflect on what you're grateful for. I, I've told you, I write every day what I'm thankful for about Becky. I'm thankful for about the Lord, my kids, this church. It changes your frame of mind and sometimes when you've worked in places like I've worked and you see people giving God thanks for food that is barely edible and rotted, or you see God them giving thanks to God for the manure they've shaped with their hands to be able to cook their meals, why do we have anything to complain about in America? If we would learn to be grateful for what God has given us instead of envious of what other people have, my life is not measured by what other people have or what I don't have. My life is measured by the gratitude I have for the family and the good things that God has blessed us with. My life is measured by the gratitude I have for this congregation and this wonderful community downriver that God has called us to live in. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning. It's a joke when I talk with local politicians how many times people complain but never call to say thank you. Let's learn gratitude. And it begins at home. When your mother is old, show her your appreciation. My mama's losing her filter. And every once in a while when we're together, she'll bring up a story and I'll look and I say, Mama, we don't need to tell that. Oh, have I learned that's like pouring gas on the fire. So now I just learn to ignore it and cringe inside and hope she does. She just goes on. 
but I love my mom. I would never criticize her. I love my mom. One day my sister called me and she says, you need to call mama. I says, why? She goes, you're no longer the golden child. All our lives, you've been the golden child. Dennis this. When you call, if mama's talking to us on the phone, she hangs up. She says, Dennis is calling. I have to take the call. She said, but mama is mad with you right now. I said, why is mama mad? She said, she's not even praying for you right now. Mama's not praying for me. Mama prays for me. She said, she's not praying for you until you bring her picture, your high school graduation picture back. I said, I don't have my high school graduation picture. Mama says you do. So I called Mama, and I said, Mama, Kim says you're not praying for me. I am not praying for you till you bring your high school graduation picture back. Mama, I would never steal my high school graduation picture. She goes, then Becky stole it. I said, Mama, Becky would never steal anything. I said, Mama, you got to start praying for me again. God's not going to bless you for this. She goes, I'm not praying for you till I get that picture back. So I called my other sister, Teresa, who helped her decorate for Christmas, says, did y'all move my graduation picture when you decorated Mama's house for Christmas? She goes, yes. She says, it's in the, I said, don't tell me where it's at. Go to Mama's house right now. She is not praying for me. And get that picture and give it to her. So she sent me a picture of Mama holding my graduation picture, and I called Mama, and she says, well, I thought you took it, and that's stealing, and I don't pray for thieves. I said, Mama, you need to pray for thieves too. And I tell you that not to mock my mama. She is queen bee. She is the ruler. She is the one that we, we love and we surround. But I'm telling you that. Don't ever mock your parents. Rejoice in this time of life. And that picture of mama holding my graduation picture, long hair, and a stupid burgundy suit that she made me buy to get my graduation picture taken in. Only a mama would make you buy a burgundy suit. But to have her prayers again means the world to me. Honor your mother, and don't forget her when she's old. Forgive your parents. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And number seven, the most important thing of all, know God is your Father. Read this verse of Scripture with me out loud today. John chapter 1 and verse 12. But to all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Before I ask you to give your heart to Christ, if you've never given your heart to Christ, or I ask you to recommit your life to Christ today, You'll find it on the screen. It'll be in your notes, either in the app or maybe in the paper notes that you received this morning. J.R. Packer, one of my favorite theologians who died just a couple of years ago. Listen with all your heart to what he wrote. What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis, the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it. The fact that he knows me. Look here. God knows you. And he loves you. God knows everything. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did this week. He knows what you're going to do next week. And he loves you. 
And you know as a mother and father, you love your children no matter what they do. And those of you that are young adults and teenagers, you never forget. On this earth, nobody will love you like your mother and father. But nobody will ever love you like God. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. There's tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me. In the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. Please hear me this morning. What Packer is saying here is when you refuse, when you find it hard to believe, when you can't accept that God loves you, you're limiting his ability to bless your life. But pastor, you don't know what I did. God knew it before you did it. And God still loves you supremely. This is my body, which is given just for you. Can you say amen? Bow your heads with me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would search our hearts this morning. That not one of us, oh God, would allow our failures, our sins, our mistakes, our disappointments in ourselves or our shortcomings to ever, Lord, limit in our hearts and minds how great and vast and overwhelming your love is for us. Our very presence here. For those of you that are praying with me, your very presence here or online says to you, God loves you. You matter to him. And if you feel something stirring in your heart to cross the line and give your heart to Jesus, God is not here to enslave you. God wants to enrich you and give you a brand new life, a fresh start. So I ask you this morning, if you've had that sense, I want to know God. I, I want to commit my life to Him. Would you trust that that's the Holy Spirit leading you and calling you? And today on February the 11th, 2024, pray this prayer with me and commit your heart to Christ. Can we all pray it together? Let's pray it out loud. Let's say, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I humble myself before you. I have nothing to give you but the confession of my sins and the confession of my faith in Jesus Christ who gave his life for me. And on the third day, you raised him again. Today, I confess my faith that Jesus is the Son of God and I commit my life to him.
as much as I know how. For it's in your name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. While our heads are still bowed, if you prayed that prayer with me this morning for the first time or for you it was a recommittal, would you just lift up your hand real high? Nobody's looking around but me. Yes, in every, every section of pews this morning. God bless all of you. Let's give the Lord a wonderful hand of praise. Would you do that? Hallelujah. Wow. I am so amazed at what God does. Now may the Lord who looks upon you with favor and smiles upon you knows your goings and your comings. May he bless every good endeavor that you seek to do. May he make you prosperous and productive in all you do this week. Go in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning. God bless you. You're dismissed.